The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've probably heard that before. It's actually something Jesus said, and he said it in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he would die on the cross. In that garden, Jesus was facing the greatest temptation of his life, and the apostles were facing great temptation as well. And he looked at them and said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We as Christians need to learn how to feed the spirit and crucify the flesh. And it's a lifelong battle, but it's one that we can have victory in. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We return now to the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 26 through 42. The message is, the Spirit is willing, but... Dot, dot, dot. Can you all finish it? The Spirit is willing, but... You all know that verse, right? Do you know who said that? Jesus actually said that. And Jesus said that to his intimate followers, his apostles. And he said it to them in a moment of crises. It was a personal crisis for him and for them. And they didn't quite realize what they were about to face. And we all face it in different ways. So let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, as we come before your holy word now, it's inspired by God and it is profitable for every area of life. And we thank you that this scene in the, at the Last Supper and into the Garden of Gethsemane is a great scene for us to learn so much about life, about the weakness of our flesh, about the willingness of the Spirit, about what you did for us, Lord. You did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and we're so grateful for your grace and your mercy. We look forward to a year where your mercy is poured out on our lives and where we can extend it to others, Lord. We have one life to live, and we know soon it will be passed. We can look back at a year when so many people entered into eternity. Names that are familiar to us, people who p passed away this year or last year, and, and they're gone. Their, their imprint is over on this planet. And we have a year ahead of us, a year that we can exploit for your purposes, Lord, and we want to do just that. So help us in the area where we're weak, the areas where we're weak, and make us strong, make us more like you. Open our ears to your word. Let us have receptive hearts and conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The spirit is willing. You have a spirit, and uh, the Bible makes that very clear, that you're not just your body. The Bible says in James 2.26 that without the spirit, the body is dead. And without faith or without works, faith is dead, being by itself. There's going to be works that come out of your life. Now, works don't save you, but works give evidence to a salvation that you do possess in Jesus Christ. In Mark 14, 38, this is where the title for this message comes. Mark 14, 38, Jesus said, Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing. The, the word spirit there is pneuma, the flesh, but the flesh is weak. The word for flesh is sarks, if you're interested. Pneuma and sarks. Now, the spirit there probably is our spirit. That is our inner person. 
In Romans 7, verses 22 and 23, Paul said, In the inner man, on the inside, who I am, I joyfully concur with the law. But I see another law working in the members of my body or my flesh. And there's another law going on where I am tempted to do the wrong thing quite often. My spirit is willing. My flesh is weak. You might say, well, what does your flesh represent? Your flesh represents that part of your humanity that is still susceptible to sin. As a Christian, you're redeemed, but you haven't arrived yet. You're not in glory. You don't have your resurrection body yet. So you still deal with whatever is the remaining remnants of your humanity, of your susceptibility to sin. Over the holidays, uh, I found my susceptibility uh, quite often in uh, banana bread, pumpkin rolls, glorious cookies. They just kept coming. Last night, we hung out with some friends for New Year's Eve, and there was a bunch of uh, just stuff on the table. Caramel popcorn and the cookies. And, this, and then there was a, there was a vegetable platter. My spirit was willing to go for the vegetables. My flesh, I found myself just reaching into bags of things, wonderful, sweet things. And at some point, I didn't even know why I was eating them anymore. They were just there. <laughs> My spirit, you know, like I made a declaration yesterday morning, I must confess. I said, you know, I need, I need to lose about 10 pounds. So today, have you, anybody ever done this before? Today, no more cookies. My wife's preparing a vegetable platter. I will be going to the vegetables, but my flesh <laughs> was weak. Even this morning, I had two offers of maple bars. I turned the first one down, <laughs> trying to be strong. Then a cute little girl brought me a maple bar. Here, Pastor Michael, Happy New Year's. I was like, ah, what can I do? It's a little child. I got to receive it. How could I ruin her day? We can't use this as an excuse, though. We can't say to our loved ones, you know, my spirit was willing. <laughs> but sorry, uh, flesh was weak. We don't use grace as an excuse for sin. But we all know that we struggle with doing the right thing as consistently as we want to do. At the Last Supper, Pastor Chris took us up to verse 25 in Mark 14, and we took a little break as we did Christmas. But at the Last Supper, we find out a couple things. There, there's this beautiful institution of the Lord's Supper where Jesus takes the Passover meal and he, he converts it or transforms it into the representation of his body and his blood. The matzah represents his pierced body. The wine represents his shed blood for our sin. And he said, I long to share this Passover with you. It was a beautiful time that he had prepared. But at that Passover meal, according to Luke 22, 23 and 24, the apostles were arguing back and forth about two primary things. One is they were wondering which one of them would betray him they didn't know that Judas was the betrayer, by the way. Judas did not walk around with horns coming out of his head, just so you know. Judas, we just knew it. They didn't know. And they kept saying, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? 
And they were arguing about something else, according to Luke, and they were arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest. The night before Jesus was going to go to the cross for them, they were still arguing all the way up to his crisis moment. And here's how the text begins. It says in verse 26 of Mark 14, and after singing a hymn, this is the end of the Passover meal, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, it's interesting that Jesus did sing, by the way. He sang a hymn here. And just a side note, we do know what he sang. Because at the Passover meal, the traditional conclusion of that meal was to sing the latter half of what's called the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms are Psalm 113, Psalms 113 through 118. The word Hallel means praise. And it's the root where we get our word, hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. So when you see the Hallel Psalms, they're called the praise Psalms, and they were sung at the feast days. The latter half of the Hallel was sung at the end of the Passover. And Jesus sang, he was probably leading the worship. If you want to turn over to Psalm 116, let's go to the, there together. We'll take a peek at what they were singing. And scholars say that they would sing in what's called antiphonal praise. What does that mean? That means that one of them would typically lead like the table leader. In this case, Jesus was definitely that. And then the others who were at the dinner would respond in the, at the appropriate time. So let me just give you a, a taste of what they would have sung through, what Jesus would have been leading them to sing. And you're going to see how much it applies to his own life as he is just hours away from his from the crucifixion and him facing the cross. But I want to ask you this question, and I want to give you some application about how to be better, how to walk in the Spirit in 2017. And one of the ways that you can do that is to get into the Bible and get the Bible into you. And if you do nothing else in 2017, can I recommend a reading plan? One psalm a day. One psalm a day. There's 150 psalms. So that'll take you through about half of the year or more. No, about half of the year. A little less than half. And as you go through the Psalms, you're going to find some of them you can read in about a minute. When you get to Psalm 119, that's going to take you a little bit more time. <laughs> it's the longest chapter in the Bible. I think there's 160-something verses. But this is something that you can do. If you want to make a resolution and I'm not telling you to make any vows here, but if you want to make a commitment for the new year, I would encourage you to go through the Psalms. They're, they will be like medicine to your soul. But let me ask you this question. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified the next day. Would you be singing the night before you face crucifixion? Would you go to a praise service? You know, one of the best ways to prepare yourself for your own crosses in life now I'm using the metaphor. None of, none of us can even come close to what Jesus had to face. But he did say to take up your cross and follow him. And so one of the best ways to prepare yourself to walk this life out as a Christian is to be a person of worship. To choose worship. To choose getting the word of God into you and singing praises to God. In fact, 40 times in the Psalms, we're exhorted, no less than 40 times, to sing to the Lord, to honor him through song. Hebrews 13, 15 says we're to offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips. Doing what? 
giving thanks to his name. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, and we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633, and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. They will be like medicine to your soul. But let me ask you this question. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified the next day Would you be singing the night before you face crucifixion? Would you go to a praise service? You know, one of the best ways to prepare yourself for your own crosses in life, now I'm using the metaphor, none none of us can even come close to what Jesus had to face, but he did say to take up your cross and follow him. And so one of the best ways to prepare yourself to walk this life out as a Christian is to be a person of worship. To choose worship, to choose getting the word of God into you and singing praises to God. In fact, 40 times in the Psalms, we're exhorted, no less than 40 times, to sing to the Lord, to honor him through song. Hebrews 13, 15 says we're to offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, doing what? Giving thanks to his name. That's one of the sacrifices that we make to God in the New Testament. It's one of the ways that we feed our spirit. Psalm 116, verse One says, I love the Lord. This is what they would have sung through. The Psalms are really songs, the songbook of Israel. I love the Lord, Psalm 116.1, because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me. The terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. As we go into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, These words are repeated by Mark. He felt distress and he felt sorrow. These words, these songs were ministering to his soul as well. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Skip down to verse nine. No, let's keep going. Verse seven. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For thou hast rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I'm sure Jesus could have been thinking of his resurrection there. Go down to verse 13. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Jesus had committed himself to the cross. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Thinking of Jesus as well, that applies to us, but to Jesus. O Lord, surely I am thy servant, and I am thy servant. I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaid, thou hast loosed my bonds. To thee I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, and then the people would respond at the table. You ready? Praise the Lord. 
Lord. There's your, one of your Hallel Psalms. In Psalm 117, this is a psalm that will take you a few seconds to read. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. Jesus was about to die for all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. Boy, it sounds like it's New Year's Day out there. Ready? Praise the Lord. Now go into Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, verse 1, for he is good. And this is how they would respond in antiphonal praise. The leader, Jesus probably here, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And they would respond, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say, his loving kindness is everlasting. Skip down to verse 5. From my distress I called upon the Lord. Look at verse 6. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me, verse 7, among those who help me. Therefore I sh shall look with satisfaction on those who hate me. Skip down to verse 13. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Skip down to verse 17. I shall not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. And then down to verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Jesus was about to be whipped with the cat of nine tails. He would be scourged in an awful way, probably tied much in the same way a festival sacrifice would be tied as he then was whipped. Thou art my God, I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And all God's people said, his loving kindness is everlasting. Now that's how they would have finished this meal. That's what they sang through in a back and forth type of praise. Jesus did sing, and there's implications if you go to the Gospel of Mark that we will hear him sing when we are with him, according to Hebrews, I think it's chapter 2. So Mark 14, after this incredible exchange, they go out to the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives just east of the Temple Mount, uh, just across the uh, Kidron Valley or the Brook of the Kidron, and in verse 27, after this wonderful time, Jesus shares this hard truth. He drops this bomb on them. He said, Mark 14, 27, he said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, one of the sad things that you can see upon the earth, and it's behind me represented in this picture, is to see sheep that scatter in a panic. Uh, it doesn't take much to panic a sheep. Uh, it could be a stray jackrabbit. It could be a rustling in the bushes, and they will take off. But one of the things that settles sheep down more, like, more than anything else is the voice and the presence of their shepherd. When Jesus looked over a multitude of people in Matthew 9, he saw them distressed and downcast like sheep, remember, without a shepherd. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It'll send out more workers into his harvest field. I want you to feel the image for a second. 
the shepherd is going to be struck and God is behind this because prophetically the father would crush the son, Isaiah 53, 10. It was the father's good pleasure to crush him that he would become a sin offering. And when the shepherd was struck, the apostles were the sheep of his flock. And on that night, they would scatter. It's a very sad thing, but I want you to think about for a second if you had a uh, kind of a Middle Eastern scene and you had a shepherd there and these sheep had known him their whole life and all of a sudden, let's say a, a, a ferocious animal or some robber came in and killed the shepherd and he lay dead. What do the sheep do now? How do they found, find their food, protection? How do they find green pastures and still waters? Well, Jesus quoted here from a prophecy in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the second to the last book of the Old Testament right before Malachi. And the prophecy that Jesus quotes is an interesting prophecy. In verse 1 of Zechariah 13, it says, In that day a fountain or a cleans of cleansing will be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. This is Zechariah 13, 7, what Jesus quotes. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, Against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. See, they had been arguing and they had been debating about which of them was going to be the greatest, but they had overlooked something very critical. In fact, a lot of them, I still think they could not accept that he was about to die. So they wanted positions on his right hand and his left hand. They were worried about maybe at this time he's going to restore the glory of Israel, the throne of David. Rome's going to finally leave. We're not going to be occupied anymore by this, this foreign occupier. But Jesus was about to go to the cross. And he said to the group, you're all going to fall away. Look at verse 27. The Greek word for fall away there is skandalizo. The word in English means to be scandalized by something. It means to trip up. And it can even mean to run away or fall and fall hard. The good news for us this morning or leading into this afternoon is this. That the apostles that were there that night, except for Judas, their trip up was as sheep. They knew the shepherd. Only one of them was not going to make it, and we already know who that one was. He was a devil from the beginning. He was the betrayer. He was never really with Jesus. Whatever his motive and reasons were for being there, he was stealing, he was uh, plotting, and finally he was possessed by Satan literally at the Last Supper and led the group, this huge group, to take Jesus to seize him. But other than Judas, Jesus said, of all that you gave me, Father, I lost not one. All these men who scattered on this night, including Peter, who's going to deny him three times, as we all know, they were still his people. They were still the sheep of his pasture, even though they had stumbled hard. Peter stumbled to the point that he went out and wept bitterly. I don't even know, know if he knew what to do with himself after he had done such a thing. But all of them were still sheep. In fact, Revelation 21 says their names are written on the found, foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says, you'll be sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They tripped up, but their tripping up was not permanent. But this night, they would be shown how weak they really were. Now, I've been walking with the Lord for 
almost three decades now. And I've discovered something. As much as I'm in the Bible and I preach and I try to live out my faith, I've discovered something. The closer I get to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more sinful and weak I realize my flesh is. Can I get a witness? There's so many times when, you know, everything in me wants to do the right thing, whether it's witnessing to someone or praying more or getting into my Bible more. I can make my whole list, just like I know you have a list. There's so many things that I want to do that I I feel like I fall short in all the time. I'm sure you can relate. But each time I go back and visit what's happened in my life, God has transformed my life to a place I can't even imagine without him. I don't know what I would be without the Lord today. But I'll tell you this. The closer I get to him, the more weak I realize my flesh is. The more uh, I realize that it's a battle. I cannot just think that I've arrived. This night, Jesus says, I will strike down the sheep, quoting Zechariah 13, and the sh- the sh- I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. And they were all going to fall away, but their fall would not be permanent. And some of you are sitting here, and maybe you've made a huge mistake. Maybe you stumbled hard. Maybe you were a person involved in ministry, and you've lost your way. There's a way back. There was a way back for Peter. Jesus says, after I've been raised, look at verse 28, I will go before you to Galilee. Galilee, you could call Galilee the place of restoration. Peter would be restored there. The rest would be be restored. And I want you to notice, Jesus says, after I've been raised. Jesus was already prophesying again his resurrection. You see, it didn't end at the cross, brothers and sisters. It ends with a resurrection and a high priest that's now in heaven, whoever lives to intercede for you and me. He's alive. And because he lives, you will live. And there's a spiritual application here that I hope you can grab onto, and it's this. No matter what you're going to face this year, no matter what the ups and downs are going to be, you can always live in the light of the resurrection. Because one day there will be a place where Satan is bound for a thousand years, a place where righteousness dwells, where the wolf and the lamb lie together, lie down together, where the little kid will play at the hole of the snake, and they will not hurt in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That day is coming. As we've said in previous messages, this is the worst it's going to get for a Christian. And most of us have it pretty good. Amen? We have a lot of blessings to count. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession, and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.